You're listening to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We hope this message brings you encouragement and helps to build your faith in Jesus. We're glad you're here to listen to this message from Pastor Paul. If you've been with us or watched over the last couple Sundays, then you know that we're probably headed to a 12-week series on the book of Daniel. We have looked at the first two chapters already. Now, last week, Chapter 2 was 49 verses long, and we read every single verse. Some of you are going, yeah, I know, we read every single verse. You'll be glad to know it's the longest chapter in Daniel. There's one that comes a little close, 49 verses. Well, this week, it's only 30. So do the math. You're thinking, okay, wow, that was 49 verses. This is only 30, so this should only be like a 45-minute sermon. All right, we're moving toward chapter 3. As Daniel opens, the year is 605 BC. The children of Israel living in that nation, the promised land that God had given them, and God gave his special people instructions, commands, so that their life would go really well. Well, how did that go? They were disobedient, defiant, and they disregarded God for 490 years. Our God is a patient God. But just as he promised, he allowed them to experience justice and judgment by bringing in a foreign army to invade them from the nation of Babylon, which is modern-day Iraq, led by a godless king named Nebuchadnezzar. So Nebuchadnezzar and his army come in, and he plunders the temple. He takes everything that belongs to the Lord and enslaves a number of God's people. Among those that were carried off into exile are Daniel and his three friends. They are forced to make a 700-mile journey from Israel to Babylon, which means they were also going to be courted to serve the king. Daniel and these three friends grew up in the royal family in Israel. So they were immediately picked out as ones who are highly educated. They, they, they know how structure and leadership work. So we're going to use them, which means they were going to be reprogrammed. We're going to teach them a new language, new religion, a new culture. In fact, we're going to give them new names. The question is, how will they worship and serve God in the midst of a godless society? That's the same question for us. They remain loyal to the Lord under some intense circumstances. Then in chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream that terrifies him, and he doesn't know what it means. He brings together all of the spiritual advisors to the false religion. They've got nothing. He gets angry. Like, you can't tell me my dream and interpret it for me. So he sends out a decree that all of the wise men in Babylon are to be put to death. Well, that includes Daniel and the three friends. Daniel gets word of this king's decree. And so what does he do? He gathers his three friends and the four of them have a very long prayer meeting. In that prayer meeting, God gives Daniel the interpretation. He gives them what the king's dream was to begin with and then the interpretation on top of it. And and that was going to be a succession of four empires to come. 
Well, after that interpretation is given, the king is so pleased, Daniel and the three friends get a promotion. Now to chapter 3. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide. That's 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. And set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates. These are all political leader, community leader types. And all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So this is going to be a national holiday. Kids are off of school. Everybody better show up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Now, if you remember the last part of Nebuchadnezzar's dream from last week, there will be a fifth kingdom, and Jesus is the king. The true sovereign king whose kingdom never ends. And ultimately, when Jesus returns, he will rule and reign over all. But Nebuchadnezzar isn't convinced. Although at the end of chapter 2, this king paid tribute to God with his words, his heart was far from God. In fact, we found him bowing down to Daniel. He didn't understand who God was. And that's a problem. People worshiping. Besides, the bracelets say WWJD, not WWDD, not what did Daniel do? Who cares? So here is Nebuchadnezzar. He's trying to gain more control over his people. He's already got political control. He's the king. He wants spiritual control as well. Let me set up this statue. And you are to bow down and worship. And what he's trying to do is undo or avoid the inevitable. Remember in that dream, Daniel's interpretation that God had given him is that Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom would not last forever. We don't know who the statue is of, but if it's of the king himself, in effect, what he's saying is, I don't like what God says is going to happen. Therefore, I'm going to rewrite history. But here's what you've got to know. God tells us what's going to happen, and no one can change that. The Bible tells us that Jesus is coming back, that he will set up a kingdom that never ends. You will die, and you will rise to go to heaven or hell. Some people think, I'll fix that. That is God's immovable promise for us. More of the story. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and people of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. This was their worship service. They were told they must fall down and worship this image. You've got two options, sing or burn. Therefore, 
As soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So we have counterfeit worship. We have a counterfeit Jesus. People of all nations and languages are to bow down to this statue. But in Revelation 7... And there's a lot of connection between Daniel and the book of Revelation. In Revelation 7, there's a real king named Jesus, ruling over a real kingdom, the kingdom of God, sitting on a real throne, and he's being worshipped by people from every nation, tribe, and language. Now, it's not bad enough that the king issued this harsh decree that you must Worship this false God, this false image. But now some of the evil people in his kingdom that are in a leadership position are going to go after God's people. At this time, some astrologers, some of the false diviners came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, may the king live forever. So they're going to remind the king of what he just said. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of, here come the instruments again, horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. In other words, you've put them in a leadership position. You remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They serve, they neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. This is how, this is an illustration of how far humanity falls that they would plot in this attempt to you know, hey, these people have leadership over us. We don't like them. We don't like their leadership. So let's, let's undergird. It just shows that we all need a new heart and a new nature. Well, it worked. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these three men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold that I have set up. You see, it's all a worship issue. How dare you? I brought in the praise team. I set up a beautiful statue. All you have to do is bow down and sing a few songs. Why is that so hard for you? So I want to give you a second chance. This is still the king talking. Now when you hear the sound of, and I hope this is the last time that we're going to hear the orchestra, the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Huh. Here's Here's what he's saying. Worship me or you go into the fire. That's it. Those those are your choices. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Wow, here's the issue. 
He's picking a fight with God. It's a fight that you will always lose. Now, maybe the first question should be, all right, where's Daniel? He played a vital role in chapters 1 and 2. He will play a vital role in chapters 4 to 12, but he's absent in chapter 3. His friends take center stage. Maybe he's away on state business. We don't know. But here's what I'll say. The test of good leadership is what do the followers do when the leader is gone? Daniel was a leader. What are the others going to do when he's not there? This is about a great leadership lesson and great parenting lesson. You and I are raising our kids as these three young men were being raised to live in Babylon. The question is, what will they do when we're not present? I'll tell you what Daniel's friends do. They will continue to walk in the will of God, even though right now at this moment, Daniel is not leading them in that walk. And the charges against these men are incredible. Remember, it was Daniel to whom God gave the king's interpretation, but only after Daniel and these three had this prayer meeting. So had it not been for them gathering in prayer, asking for God's help, all the wise men would have been done away with. And yet here are some of them plotting evil against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They wouldn't even been existing had it not been for them. Well, now this counterfeit king has a real issue on his hands. He just said, you must do this. Therefore, he cannot tolerate three who choose not to. Here's something I want you to think about. All leadership comes from either fear and control or love and influence. Nebuchadnezzar is a leader working from fear and control. Our God is a God who works through love and influence. So Nebuchadnezzar can never give the mercy that our loving king can. The good news that we see in these three is that these are real worshipers. They are going to experience a lot of heat, no pun intended in just a moment. Okay, maybe pun intended. But here's what the spirit of Babylon does. It keeps turning up the heat on you to compel you to either conform or bow down. The pressure is to worship someone or something other than God. Well, historians tell us that some 300,000 bowed down to the statue that day, except for three. That takes a lot of courage. We already learned in chapter one that Daniel and his three friends were by far not the only Jews taken captive. That means that all the other believers bowed down to this false God. They just went along with what everyone else was doing. You know, one day we all will bow, bow down. Philippians 2 says, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Well, for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, all of this is pressing on them to choose their king, choose their kingdom. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, 
We do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. We're not playing both sides. We're not putting one foot in faith and one foot in the world. We're not being believers and Babylonians at the same time and only going to show out which one we want to be as it's convenient for us. You know we've made our decision. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Our God can deliver us, but even if he doesn't, We're going to worship him. That's the heart of a true believer. God can supernaturally cure your cancer. But even if he doesn't, worship him. God can heal your marriage. God can bring back home wayward children. God can change your financial condition. But if he doesn't, still worship him. What they're saying is our God can do anything, but we can't make our God do anything. He is sovereign Lord over all. So how does Nebuchadnezzar respond? Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, fully clothed, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent, the furnace so hot, that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Have you ever had life go the way you didn't want it to go? Ever found yourself in a situation that was maybe your greatest fear and everything was out of your control? Those are the moments you need to worship him most. Remember behind this whole storyline is the idea of worship. Let me remind you of what worship is from the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or in the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. You know, jealousy can be a bad thing, but when it comes to God, jealousy is a good thing. Jealousy is God saying something or someone is in my place. What God is saying is that I love you. And I want a relationship with you. And if you've put another God or someone or something else in that place, that is adultery. I am jealous because that is not their place. 
God is jealous to have a faithful relationship with you. And anyone or anything that takes precedence or priority over that relationship is a problem for him and it should be a problem for you. It still comes down to worship. Who or what is the center of your life? Now let me say a few things. Number one, we don't worship God to get the results we want. We worship him to learn of his will for us. Someone will say, oh, I tried Jesus. It didn't work. (laughs) What do you mean? Well, I asked for something and it didn't happen. We don't worship God to get the results we want. We worship him to find his will. Number two, if your goal is convenience, eventually you will deny your God. I only want to do what's easy and doesn't cost me a thing. Monetarily, time-wise, obedience-wise, don't ask me to choose between convenience and Christ. Which leads me to say we need to understand what our goal is. and We need to declare what our goal is. It is not to win or be successful. Our goal is to be faithful to Jesus until we see Jesus. And number four, as believers, God will deliver you from death or through death. When they say God will deliver us, that doesn't necessarily mean we're going to get out of this with our lives intact. It means God will either miraculously protect them and they will come out intact or he will deliver us through death and we will go to be with Jesus in heaven. Either way, life or death, the deliverance is guaranteed. God may get you around it, but most times, what do we read in Scripture in those stories? God gets you through it. Through it. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I walk through. I don't get a flight over it. I walk through it. It is wrong to think that if you just have enough faith, you'll get around it. No, most times it's that God will help you get through it. And notice this. Of all the things that get thrown into the fire with them, fully clothed, remember, robes, tunics, turbans, trousers, only one thing gets burned up. The ropes that bound them. Everything that belonged to the believers was untouched. The things that belonged to the Babylonians is what burned up. And then something awesome happens. The real king shows up. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? There were three, right? Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Okay, who miscounted? There were three, right? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Let me just say, before King Nebuchadnezzar got off his throne to look in the fiery furnace, 
our King Jesus got off his throne and was already in the furnace with him. Ultimately, Jesus did this supremely in the first century AD. He got off his throne and humanly came into this mess of where we are. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God. Now, he's not calling on God. He's not changing his mind about God. He's kind of playing both sides. Come out. Come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. And the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Have you ever sat around a fire? You come away, what do you smell like? A fiery furnace. These guys, nothing. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and rescued his servants. He doesn't even quite understand what's going on. He continues, They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any God except their own. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God, now he's not asking them to worship, he's not claiming him as the one true God, he's saying, look, just don't say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, because if you do, you will be cut into pieces, your houses will be burned into piles of rubble, for no other God can save in this way than the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Today, if people didn't know that the background story and we heard something like this similarly, we'd say, oh, they got a promotion? Yeah, that's because they gave in. They're working for the Babylonian government. Their life is pretty smooth. They sold out, didn't they? The point is, be a good citizen, but be a good witness to the love of God. Be a good citizen up until the point that you cannot be a good Christian. This whole chapter began with Nebuchadnezzar trying to rewrite history. There won't be four kingdoms and then the kingdom of God. There will only be the Babylonian Empire and me as its king. However, the Babylonian Empire and Nebuchadnezzar will all fall during Daniel's lifetime. Then are going to come the Medo-Persian, Greek, and Roman empires leading up to the birth of Jesus to establish his kingdom that began, but the not yet fully realized until he returns. Nebuchadnezzar wanted the glory all to himself. Jesus is the only one who deserves the glory. Jesus is going into the furnace with them, but he, when he goes to the cross, will go it alone. He doesn't drag us to the cross to also endure the wrath of God. He takes our place. He dies and is buried. And just as these three men walk out of the fiery furnace, Jesus will walk out of his tomb 
40 days later, he ascends back into heaven where he is ruling and reigning as king of kings and lord of lords, coming again to bring a kingdom that never ends. In the meantime, what does Daniel mean for you? It's very curious. But Peter, Jesus' lead disciple, had this to say in his first letter in, in chapter 1. He writes, In all of this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Let me ask you, what grieves you? What trials are you in? These have come. So that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold. Nebuchadnezzar's greatest possession in his mind was gold. As to believers, the greatest possession we have is faith. You cannot take the gold with you into the kingdom of God. But you will take your faith with you into the kingdom of God. You need to know that your faith is more important than your gold. Which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor. This is true worship and bowing down to Jesus Christ when he gets revealed at his second coming. What he's saying is this. Just as Nebuchadnezzar in the spirit of Babylon is seeking to destroy these men, so Satan is going to turn up the heat on your life from time to time so that you will find yourself in some sort of furnace of affliction. Ever been there? We've all got our fiery furnace. For some of you, it's marital. For some of you, it's, it's spiritual. Maybe it's physical, maybe it's financial. But that same fire that the enemy wants to use to consume you, God will use to purify you. And here's the good news. Whatever fiery furnace you find yourself in, Jesus Christ comes to stand with you and to purify your faith, which is of more precious than gold. I don't know what you're in, but sometimes you don't even see Jesus until you're in the furnace. Sometimes you don't even know you need Jesus until the heat is turned on. And some of you need to know that he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will never turn his back on you. He will never walk away from you to the end of the age, even in a fiery furnace. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the opportunity that we have to hear your word, your word of truth. Thank you that the Bible is not just who you are, but also about who we are in you. It doesn't tell us just what happened, but what always happens. And it shows us behind the scenes why it's happening. And ultimately, who's ruling over it all? Lord God, you rule over generations, nations, empires, and leaders. You rule over individuals. When all is said and done, not one of your children will be lost with you. 
And so we pray for those who don't yet know you. And may we do our part to remain faithful to you even in the face of opposition. In this prayer we pray and the prayer that Jesus taught saying, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, our website, bhprez.org, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on all our latest content.